I'm glad to be here this morning. Thank God for each one of you that put forth the effort to be here. I, uh, I had a difficulty, a little bit of a difficulty in settling on what I was going to preach this morning. Uh, there were three things that come to mind. One was grief and how the Bible teaches us to deal with grief in reference to the passing of Sister Donna recently. And then also the, uh, this Sunday is the uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And, of course, abortion is one of the three great evils against our country that mars our history. One, of course, is slavery. The second one is how we treated the American Indians. And the third is abortion. But... Thank God for the victory that was uh, won this past year. It doesn't mean the war is over, but that was a great victory. It was something for which many of us had prayed for, the overturning of Roe versus Wade and uh, giving the states the right to make their own decisions. This is a divided country. I'm sure you know that. Uh, uh, different sections of the country think entirely different and their cultures are entirely different uh, than what the other parts are. But I do thank God for the victories that had been won in that area, and though we will continue on in the fight to put away this terrible evil, a blot on our nation, put it away forever. I was thinking about speaking on grief. Grief is uh, God's way of helping us to deal with death of a loved one. Grief is a good thing. In fact, in the Bible, the uh, people were given, normally, they took 30 days in which to grieve over the death of, of a person. And, uh, and we have... If you've ever read the Bible, you know that that's true. And God give us grief. Grief uh, is mourning. It's a, it's a time of, of sadness. It, uh, there's a time, of course, to laugh and rejoice, but there's also a time to weep and cry. Grief is a very personal thing. And a lot of times it's a, it's a very private thing. People don't do their grieving in public, and, but they do grieve. It's, it's God's way of helping us to overcome the uh, effects of death of someone who is very close to us. We don't want to forget the thought that death is the curse of sin. It's uh, death, my friend. Now, Jesus changed our attitude towards it, but it's still the curse of sin. Physical death came upon the human family because of sin. I just say this much and then go on to what I'm going to preach about. Give, your time, give yourself time to grieve. It takes time. It's, it's not, some people take longer than others, but give yourself time to grieve. Don't get hung up in it, but do allow yourself to grieve. Grieving has a way, and, and crying. I was thinking the only passage that tells us of Jesus weeping was the death of a very close friend of his, Lazarus. Lazarus was a very close friend to Jesus. And when he, uh, he was in, uh, well instructed by God to wait for some extra days until after Lazarus had already died. But when he came to his tomb, he wept. And I thought, you know, he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. 
but he still wept. And the reason for that is that he was, he was human. He was human. He did not live his entire life in the, the scope of the divine. He, he lived his life as a human being. And he wept. And you and I, part of grief, some more and some less, but weeping is a part of that. Most of us do that in private, away from the crowd, and when we're alone, and when we're with our own thoughts, and uh, thinking about various things, the things that makes death of a loved one sad is that you have good memories of, of, you know, the good times that you spent together. And the thing that brings sadness is that you know that in this world, those are never going to be repeated again. Uh, they're ended. And, and that, that's what brings us sadness. And it's natural. It's God's way, as I said, of helping us through that. The loss of a companion, I've read enough to know this to be true, but the loss of a companion is the greatest loss that anyone can have. It's a greater loss than losing your parents, your father, your mother, or a sibling, a brother or sister, or even a child. The loss of your companion, they tell us, is the greatest loss. And Brother Bartlett is experiencing that. He's going through that. And I pray for him daily, have, and I'm sure that you have too, that God will help him and he'll get through his grief. It'll take some time. Give him that time. <laughs> Give him that time. Allow him to overcome the loss of his life. Well, uh, I thought about that, but that's not what I'm going to preach. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts, the second chapter. The book of Acts, the second chapter. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to you this morning on a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. My mind was brought to this because of some recent messages of Brother Bartlett's. I have the, my habit is I attend church where uh, my son is a pastor and uh, I attend there and listen to him preach and then come home and uh, eat our Sunday meal and then in the afternoon, I, I tune in to the, uh, to the uh, uh, Zoom, not Zoom, uh, it's uh, on YouTube, but I tune into that and, and I watch the morning program here uh, in the afternoon while I'm sitting and resting, I, I watch that and uh, I've been I've been doing that for quite a while now. But recently, <coughs> excuse me, recently Brother Bartlett has preached at least two, maybe three messages on the Holy Spirit and, the, and what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a Christian. And I listened to each one of those and uh, they, were, they were good. But that that brought me to the thoughts that I have on my heart this morning. I am just going to reconfirm actually what he has already uh, said, but I do want to bring a few thoughts along being filled with the Spirit. I've entitled my lesson, as I said, A Fresh Filling of the Holy Spirit. I begin reading in Acts, the second chapter, verse number 14. This Acts, the second chapter, of course, is the day of Pentecost and the time when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. 
and, and they came out of the upper room shouting and preaching. And uh, this, is, this is after a crowd had gathered and some of them were mocking, thinking that they were drunk because of the way they were rejoicing. But Peter says this in verse number 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, Peter was a representative of all the apostles on this occasion. He stood up with the eleven. There were, of course, eleven at that time because of uh, Judas falling away. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. I mean, he said it loudly. And said unto them, Ye men of Judah, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be it known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. He's saying here that the crowd was saying, Hey, these guys, uh, they've uh, got drunk very early today. And uh, they're drunk on wine. And Peter's saying... They're not drunk, as you're thinking they are. It's only the third hour, and the third hour, of course, is 9 o'clock. Their first hour begins at our 6 o'clock. Seeing that is but the third hour, but this is that. And you see, he, now he's going to explain to them what was happening here. And he tells them that what was occurring on that day was a fulfillment of of the promises of the Old Testament. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens will I pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Here we find that Peter, in his explanation of what is taking place here, is saying that this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament promise where God would pour out his spirit. Now, it doesn't mean that the spirit of God was not active in the Old Testament period of time. He was. I mean, you can read many, many passages concerning the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. But what he was saying, the promise of God was that this Holy Spirit would be given to anyone and everyone that, of course, met the conditions. It would be a, a greater uh, a giving, a greater... Uh, delivering, dividing of the Holy Spirit among the people, the common people. In fact, uh, what he said here proves that point. He said, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And that simply means that anybody, anyone, you, me, anyone else, that we can receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit into our heart and soul. He said, your sons and your daughters and young men, old men, servants, handmaidens. Uh, he's just simply saying, anybody. Now, in the Old Testament, mostly the Holy Spirit was given to people who had a special task to do for God. Some of them uh, were physical tasks. And uh, like he gave, the Spirit gave special gifts to the Israelites that came out of Egyptian bondage, gave them spatial skills to be able to build uh, the things that went into the tabernacle. And it says that, the scripture says that, I'm not taking time to read it, you can read it. And then it also tells us that the Spirit came upon the Old Testament prophets, the Spirit came upon kings, the Spirit came upon Samson as a military uh, leader uh, to free the children of Israel from 
Philistine rule, but the Holy Spirit was active. In fact, uh, even in the act of creation, it said the Spirit of God moved upon the waters. And the Holy Spirit was active, but this giving of the Holy Spirit to everyone, my friend, is the thing that is the difference. That everyone, and the reason why I want to emphasize that point is that I don't want you to think, well, I'm a, I'm a nobody, and this gift of the Holy Spirit is not for me. It is. It's for each and every one. In this particular passage, it was talking about God would give the Holy Spirit sons and daughters, and they prophesy. Young men see visions. Old men dream dreams. And servants and handmaidens will prophesy. And that's speaking, of course, of spiritual work in the kingdom of God and various things. Now, it said it shall come to pass in the last days. The last days, which were, and I'll not read the scriptures, but the last days is the period of time from the first coming of Christ unto the second coming of Christ. That entire period is referred to as the last days. And the reason why it is, it's, because it's God's last effort to win the world, or to save the world, I should say. This is the last dispensation. This is, this is the end of it. This is, as one writer said, uh, the end of the world. We're living in the end of the world. We're living in that time. The last days, and the last uh, reason why I'm emphasizing that, the last days is not just a short period of time before Jesus comes. It's the entire gospel dispensation. Now, during that time, the la during this period of the last days, it, were, it was to be characterized by an abundant outpouring of God's Spirit. That's the outstanding thing, and that's what Peter referred to. The Old Testament prophet uh, had prophesied this. He, he quotes Joel here, but there's more prophets than Joel that prophesied this, that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. And he tells us here that these last days were going to be characterized by an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that the early church received that outpouring on the day of Pentecost. Peter said here, what you're seeing here, what is taking place here, is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophet. Prophecy, I should say. The early church experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit more than once. I'm not going to take time to read it. But in the fourth chapter of Acts, uh, well, let me read just a couple of verses here. Fourth chapter of Acts, in case you're not familiar with it. The early church, my friend, experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit more than once. It wasn't... The, the out, uh, that's why I entitled my lesson the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit the filling of the Holy Spirit is not a once and for all thing it's not something that occurs one time never to be repeated again but it can be repeated this same uh, church these people my friend uh, on the day of Pentecost came under came under persecution the apostles were arrested, and then uh, Peter uh, was uh, released, and by ma magic, uh, by the miracle that God performed in releasing him. But in the fourth chapter, the twenty-third verse, and being let go, they went to their own company. Now, this is talking about the disciples and apostles after they had been warned not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. 
And being let go, they went into their own company, and we would say they're the, the fellowship of the church. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hath made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Of a truth against the holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand, uh, thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. What they're saying here is that they're crying out to God. They lifted up their voice in one accord. Now this is the church. This is the apostles plus the, the believers or at least several of the believers that were in Jerusalem at that time. And they lifted up their voice and, and asked God for help. Under persecution, they're asking God. They were threatened not to preach in the name of Jesus. Now, in the 29th verse is their request. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. You know, when you're threatened by authorities not to do something, and it's something that God has told you to do, it takes a lot of courage to continue to do it. And these men and the church together were asking God, give us, Lord, boldness, even though we're under threat not to speak in this name anymore or worse things would come upon us than just being put in jail. And he's, they're asking, God, give us boldness to speak your word. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and they're asking also for miraculous signs to follow their preaching. By stretching forth thy hand to heal, and by signs and wonders may be done by the, by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, now this is their request, and this is sometime, at, maybe several weeks or a few months, or I don't know how long, but sometime after Pentecost. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. These are the same people that were filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. Or many of them, maybe not all of them, but many of them, the apostles and others were the same people that was filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And here they are again, filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And God granted their requests. In fact, it was the power of the Holy Spirit that gave them the courage to go out and boldly speak the word of God. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. And, and neither said any of them that out of the things which they possessed was their own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. This, is, this verse, 33rd verse, is telling us the results of this fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And that was that there was a power, a spiritual power, my friend, to witness to the resurrection of Christ and great grace was upon them all. I said that 
two points that I've made. One is that the last days were to be characterized by an abundant outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that the church can experience the outpouring of the Holy Spirit more than once. I said that to lay the foundation for what I want to urge you to do. Our churches need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced of that. I mean, uh, and if you're not, then I, I, I hope that you will become convinced of it. But our churches need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Our need today is more than, you know, we, just, we don't need just more excitement, more activity, and more interest in the things of God. What we need is a renewing of the courage, the hope, the faith, and the zeal of God's people. You know, I don't know whether you know this, but the courage, hope, and faith, and zeal of God's people uh, has really declined. <laughs> and they're not zealous. They're not on fire. They're not very courageous. And they're not full of hope. In fact, uh, hope has been so undermined by what's going on today in our world that we have very little hope of ever, ever seeing it changed. And if we don't have hope, then we will not have faith. And faith is trusting God to do what he said to do. But without hope, faith has no inspiration. And when you kill the hope of a people... You have effectively, my friend, made them to be weak. But this, this renewing of courage, hope, faith, and zeal is inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. In this fourth chapter, I just got through reading. These people were under persecution. And, and even though it may not have happened to many of us, here, uh, in Ohio, we have more freedom than what some other people have in other states. But there are places where people are losing their jobs, losing their businesses, my friend, and being threatened with jail, jail uh, sentence simply because of standing for what they believe. I mean, it's happening. It's not something that's going to happen. It's happening. And it's a threat. In fact, they are threatening, and, and their threats are to silence us. I'll just tell you, the threats are to silence us. And in so many cases, it's working. What we need is the same thing that the early church prayed for here. And that was, God, give us some boldness. Courage, faith, hope. Give us something, Lord, that we can stand. The time may be coming. I don't know. Uh, and unless there's something that turns around the, uh, the, the tide that is washing across this country, the time is coming when you're going to be faced with a decision whether to stand for what you believe or not. And the church as a whole, my friend, needs this renewing of the Holy Spirit, this fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. The problem is, and this is, of course, as I see it, that many do not even know that such an experience is available. You talk about a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, and a lot of people don't even know what you're talking about. They've never experienced it. They've never, uh, and, and some of them have never even heard it preached about, having a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And you might ask the question, why is the church not seeking or ex expecting such an experience? And one reason is so little is said 
or preached on the subject. Now, as I said recently, your pastor, Brother Bartlett, has been preaching on my friend what the Holy Spirit does for the people of God. And he done a good job on that. I'm not, not finding fault. But I'm talking in general terms. So little is said or preached on the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit that the church in a great measure, my friend, is in dark concerning it. They don't understand it. They, they don't have no, no real intellectual concept of what it really is, a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And one reason that our people's in the dark about being filled with the Spirit is because of the extreme views of some, my friend, to hold, that hold what is called one work of grace. Since the early 1970s, some of our preachers have felt it necessary to warn against the errors of what we call the second cleansing. And while exposing the errors, some have taken extreme positions. And some of them teach that a Christian gets all of the Spirit in the first work of grace. Excuse me just a minute. The first work, <clears throat> excuse me, the first work has become so magnified that, my friend, it has become the only work. Some don't even, or some have gone so far to deny any subsequent filling of the Holy Spirit beyond regeneration. And because of these things and because of what been taught in the past and even up to the present in some circles, that we as a people as a whole have quit seeking for and expecting or even longing for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Our preachers, by and large, are no longer urging God's people to seek a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this, this trace filling of the Spirit, of course, is individually, but it also can be collectively, as it was on Pentecost, and it was uh, uh, repeated again in the fourth chapter of Acts. It can be collectively. When we fail to preach, my friend, the possibility, and actually even the necessity, of a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, we remove all hope of a refreshing, a renewing, and a revival in the church. When we deny that the, when we do this, we deny the church the only basis or foundation on which a spiritual renewal or a spiritual revival can be experienced. Without and believe me, this is, this is absolutely true, and you may not believe it, but I'm telling you it's absolutely true. Without a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, spiritual renewal is not possible. And because of these things, we don't look for, we don't pray for, and we don't expect a fresh filling of the Spirit. Now, every, every action has a reaction and consequence. The practical results, my friend, is this. This is another problem that we have. Uh, we exhort the church to live close to God, while at the same time, we neglect to teach how this is to be accomplished. We tell people to get closer to God. How, how are we going to get closer to God? My friend is to have, well, more of the Holy Spirit work and manifestation in our life. 
The tendency to neglect preaching on being filled with the Spirit has actually led us away from the path of deep spirituality. I hear people all the time saying the church is not as spiritual as it once was. The church is not as deeply spiritual as it once was. Well, there's, there's a reason for that. It doesn't just happen. There's a reason for that. And one of the reasons is to neglect preaching on being filled with the Spirit is foundational to that result. To me, there's been a corresponding decline in spirituality among us because of the failure to preach on being filled with the Spirit. It's manifested everywhere. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't think I need to enlarge on that. Your pastor has done a great job, evangelists and other preachers that you've had that have come in here have done, done a great job on that. My friend, showing that there's been a decline in spirituality among us. Now, listen to me. I don't mean that this has been our preacher's deliberate intention. That, that's not what I mean. But nevertheless, it's been the practical results. We as a people, and I'm, I'm taking it in the sense of folks that you and I know and acquainted with, fellowship with. But we as a people no longer feel a holy urge to seek and tarry before God until we are endued with power from on high. We don't have that inward prompting. We don't have our heart prompting us The Holy Spirit, my friend, being poured out in abundance is the only thing that can satisfy our thirst for God. Psalms 63, 1 through 3 says this, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory. So as I have seen them in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. A thirst for God. <clears throat> you ever have a thirst for God? I know what that is. I know what it is to be thirsty, and I also know what it is to have, to have your thirst satisfied. Now, when you thirst for something and have that thirst satisfied, it, it doesn't mean a once and for all, because you get thirsty again. But a thirst for God is a spiritual consciousness of our need of God. You know... I mean, the, the, the heart cries out. And that's what David meant by my soul thirsts for God. His soul was crying out for God to come in his grace and power. This thirst is not a need for pardon of sin. The unregenerated have that need. They want to be pardoned of their sins. But this is a thirst for the presence and the power of God. And this thirst, my friend, is developed in someone who already knows the Lord. To thirst means that the soul has been aroused to the place that it feels its need of God. How long has it been? 
and you have to answer that. But how long has it been since your soul thirsts for God? How long has it been since your soul was aroused to its need of God and need of the power and presence of God? <clears throat> this thirst for God usually occurs or is experienced after a spiritual decline. A spiritual decline leaves us with a sense of emptiness. It leaves us feeling a, a need of God in a greater way. This thirst is an intense longing or desire for God to manifest himself. And this thirst usually manifests itself in an earnest seeking. God has promised to pour out his spirit on the thirsty. Isaiah 44, verse 30. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessings upon thy offspring. Here God's saying he's using uh, a flood to represent this quenching of the thirst. That's why I said that God pours out his spirit abundantly. I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, floods upon the dry ground. Sometimes I feel like we're living in a spiritual desert. We need something that's refreshing, something, my friend, that quenches the thirst that we have for God and the things of God. And God is comparing this pouring out of water on the thirsty. He said, I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, 18th verse. Be, <clears throat> be not drunken with wine. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have some phlegm in my <clears throat> throat. For some reason. Be not drunken with wine. Wherein is excess. But be filled with the spirit. Here Paul is comparing. Being under the influence of wine. And under the influence of the spirit. But he's saying. Don't be under the influence of wine. But be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the spirit. Being filled with the spirit is. Not simply another way of saying be saved. That's not what it means. Does it, being filled with the Spirit have any significance beyond regeneration? When the Bible speaks about being filled, <coughs> excuse me, when it talks about being filled with the Spirit, is it, always talking about being saved? Is that... Is that regeneration is there any significance of being filled with the spirit beyond regeneration does being filled with the spirit have any deeper meaning for a Christian than simply being saved it is, it's, it's got to mean something being filled with the spirit has got to mean something it's got to have some significance. What does it mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? I believe that being filled with the Spirit is a conscious experience. And I believe that its reality can be known. Being filled a phrase with the Spirit expresses itself in an awareness of 
refresh spiritual vitality. I, I've had this experience different times throughout my Christian life, sought the Lord and, and, and have, have had a refreshing from God, sought him in secret prayer and meditation and waiting before the Lord. This fresh filling of the Spirit fills us with spiritual vitality and energy. It's similar to having your battery recharged. In my car, I've got an old battery. It's not dead, thank God, or I don't think it is. (laughs) When I go out and start it, I believe it's going to... But about once a month, I put a charger on it. Because it's, it's sluggish. It's not dead. Uh, it's just sluggish. And I recharge it. And I think some Christians are like that. They're not dead. They're sluggish. And they need an enhancement of the spiritual life that is in them an increase of mental and emotional, spiritual vitality in life. It's a heightened sense of moral courage and moral strength to stand and to be what God would have us to be. It's an increased incentive and sensitivity to spiritual reality. One filled with the Spirit is conscience, my friend, of a fresh, spiritual, energizing power. Micah said this in the third chapter, the eighth verse. For truly, I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord, and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgression and to Israel is sin. Here Micah is telling us that he was conscious of God's spirit within him. He was conscious of that. He said, I am full of power by the spirit of the Lord. And and his consciousness of that was because of his boldness and preaching judgment And he'd done it with power, and he was declaring, you know, it's not an easy thing to tell people their sins. I mean, you might think it is, but it ain't. I've been there many, many times. But it's not an easy thing to stand up and tell people their sins when you know. And it's not an easy thing to listen to it. If you're guilty, not an easy thing. But the thing that empowered Micah and, well, many of the other Old Testament prophets and New Testament preachers, the thing that empowered them, my friend, was a consciousness that they were full of power from the Holy Spirit. Filling the Holy Spirit cannot be reduced to a mere emotional experience because he's so much more than that. But I will tell you this, that the Holy Spirit does energize a person with passion and emotion. He does do that. What I'm talking about is far more than a simple trip to the altar. Sometimes we hear a message like this, we make a trip to the altar, and we, that, that's as far as we go. But there's no empowering, no change, no energizing. I'm telling you, friend, we're going to have to take some time to spend with God. And without it, things are never going to change. 
I wish that the following verse fully and truly described us. Acts 13, chapter 52nd verse. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. I wish that God's estimate of you and me was, you know, when the early church was asked to select seven men to take care of the daily rationing of the, the food to the poor saints in Jerusalem. One of the qualifications was full of the Holy Spirit. A man of wisdom, uh, uh, somebody was wise, somebody was full of the Holy Spirit, spiritual. What we need today is a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that some of you are going to say, oh, we, we've heard that. But have we done anything about it? My question to you is, are we going to just go on like we are? Are we just going to go on just, just like we are, satisfied with what we see going on today? Satisfied with the condition of the church? Satisfied with, you know, we, we can brag on each other? Make us feel good every time we come to service. But are, are we going to be satisfied with the things as they are? Or are we going to allow a thirst for God to be aroused in our hearts? A hunger. Something that motivates us. Something that moves us. Something internally. I was thinking of, I can't, I was trying to think of a passage in Psalms. I, I, uh, I can't get it exactly like it is. But, anyway, the, gist of it is that God said come closer to me and the psalmist said my heart says I will come it's only when our heart says that you know you can be sitting here and you can give mental uh, agreement you know, say, yeah, I believe that. Brother Yoder's, Brother Yoder's uh, preaching the truth. You can even say he's, he's right on target and, and, and agree with, with everything I said, or at least most of it. But if it don't move you. When I was praying yesterday, and I was studying and praying and deciding what I might preach, as I said, I had other thoughts in my mind, uh, the thought of grief because of the passing of Sister Donna, the thought of abortion and how we need to stand against that evil because this is, this is a Sunday that's set aside to recognize that need and this. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, the reason I'm reluctant to preach this is because I don't know whether anybody will accept it and believe it. I said, Lord, I don't know whether there's anyone that'll take it to heart. Most will leave the service saying, we had a good service and uh, that was interesting, that was uh, enlightening or whatever, but it don't move us. 
we're the same. We remain the same. We don't change. Nothing happens. I've unburdened my heart to you this morning. And I will say this and then I'll close. And unless somebody heeds what I said this morning and takes it to heart and gets a hold of God and experiences a fresh filling of God's Spirit, nothing is going to change. And I mean that nothing is going to change. Inside the church or outside, nothing. Someday, somewhere, God's going to find people that do respond to what I said this morning. Now, the question is whether it will be us or somebody else. But somewhere, sometime, somebody is going to take this word, believe it, and respond to it. And God's going to bless them. Father, I struggled here this morning with my throat. And trying to deliver this messages on my heart. I tried to make it clear. I tried to make it plain. And I don't know whether I accomplished that or not. But I leave it with you. Holy Spirit, you can take it farther than I've taken it. You can talk to people, dear Lord, in a way that it's impossible for me to talk to them. I pray, dear God, in the closing that you would bless Brother Bartlett as he bears his grief, and that you will strengthen him and help him through that. And I also pray for the congregation. Some of them will experience a similar grief, not the same, but similar. And I also pray that you remember this congregation. Dear God, that you bless them with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Father, may you arouse a thirst in hearts and then satisfy that thirst in abundance, Lord, as they seek you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you, you stand, please? Yes, please. Page 167 in your big book. 167. Lord, possess me now, I pray. One of the best recipes I've ever heard. Make me holy thine today. This is one of those messages where we're going to pivot one way or the other. This is a message that is hard to swallow because every one of us that has any spirituality knows 
that it's going to take more time, more focus, more energy. Brother Yoder said we don't have that inward prompting to be filled with God's spirit. We don't have that thirst for God. We don't have that desire. And that's true with most churches today because of all the things they're hearing. And more importantly, all the things they're not hearing when they go to church. But I can say in my own mind, beyond a shadow of a doubt, we heard more preaching this morning in this church than most all the other churches. Now that's my opinion, but it's a strong one. Brother Yoda said it's going to take time. Who has time? We're running here, we're running there, we're doing this, we're doing that. We got to watch this, we got to watch that. We got this going on, that going on. You'll never, never be filled. None of us will be filled with the Spirit of God when we don't take that time. What I want to say is this. We can have a church with greater conviction, greater power, greater love, greater boldness. How, how do you know we can have a greater church? Just by the reaction to this message this morning. Every one of us should be at the altar. Do you hear me? Yes. Every one of us should be at the altar, at least in our hearts. But we're not moved anymore. And God's not going to move us because our desire is not there to want to be a better church. Don't you want sinners to come in here and instead of chewing gum and thinking about everything else that's going on and what they got to do, don't you want to have a church where the Holy Spirit will lay hold of them and shake them in their shoes? People that miss church, 50% of the time, they're not even moved. People that got bad tempers, bad attitudes, swear, do this, that, nominal religion. They're not even moved. That's why this was the best message in Newark this morning. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? We're, we're like under a, an intoxication. But it's this kind of preaching that makes and builds a church of God. And you all know I'm telling you the truth. You all, we all know Brother Yoder told us the truth. We hear a lot about the Spirit, a lot about this, a lot about that, but we don't hear how to get to that point. And that's where the flesh rises up. And says, I don't have the time for this. I don't even have the desire for this. What kind of church do we want to be? And we're at the crossroads right now. And it's going to take more than just hearing one message. We're going to have to go home and put legs under the message. We're going to have to start jettisoning a bunch of things in our lives that's taking too much time and put the emphasis back on desire for God. I told Brother Yoda, this is the best message I ever heard in a long time. I'm not scolding you or anything. I'm just saying we're at a crossroads. I don't want to have a average church, a status quo church. 
I don't want to have a church where people come in and get entertained. I want to have a church where God's Holy Spirit gets down into every heart that walks in here. And people come in broken and they go out whole. They come in lost and they go out saved. They come in fearful and they go out with boldness. We're up against something today. Well, we got enemies like you can't imagine. It's not all the addictions, all this crazy stuff that's going on. And what's out there is trying to shut everybody up. You don't have an opinion anymore. You don't even have a right to an opinion anymore. Just keep sleeping. Just keep sleeping and fall asleep. I'd rather have a better church than that, wouldn't you? And it doesn't start by just being in one service. We've got to go home and live different than we've been living. I can't believe people that can miss church and, and prayer life and this and that and still think they're saved. Let's sing one more verse. You can take the message home as you drive through the snow. Be careful. It snowed a little bit more than we expected. So if you want to take time to pray, fine. If you want to take the message with you and then pray, fine. But man, don't let this one fall to the ground. This message is either going to make us or break us. Amen. Brother Yoder, thank you. You've listened to the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the admonition for sorrow and grief. And I needed that. And the church needs that. There's a heaviness. Not because it's just a heaviness because we've lost our first lady. But he just gave us the remedy how to get over it. Let the time heal our wounds and our sorrow and our sadness. But then let's go forward conquering and to conquer. So God bless you. Thank you, Brother